Hello, and welcome to Conversations from the World of Allergy, a podcast produced by the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. I'm your host, Dave Stukas. I'm a board-certified allergist and immunologist and serve as the social media medical editor for the Academy. Our podcast series will use different formats to interview thought leaders from the world of allergy and immunology. This podcast is not intended to provide any individual medical advice to our listeners. We do hope that our conversations provide evidence-based information. Any questions pertaining to one's own health should always be discussed with their personal physician. The Find an Allergist search engine on the Academy website is a useful tool to locate a listing of board-certified allergists in your area. Finally, use of this audio program is subject to the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology Terms of Use Agreement, which you can find at www.aaai.org. Today's edition of our Conversations from the World of Allergy podcast series is mainly targeted towards allergists, immunologists, and other healthcare professionals, but I really think everybody listening is going to get some benefit out of this conversation we're going to have. We are very pleased to welcome Dr. Hamant Sharma, who is an Associate Professor of Pediatrics at George Washington University School of Medicine and Children's National Hospital in Washington, D.C. At his institution, Dr. Sharma serves as the Chief of the Division of Allergy and Immunology and Director of the Food Allergy Program. Although Dr. Sharma has a wealth of experience researching and treating food allergies, he also serves as the co-lead for the Clinician Wellbeing Program at Children's National and is also the current vice chair of the Integrative Medicine Committee within the American Academy of Allergy and Immunology. And we're really going to tap into his experience with, with these issues during today's conversation. And with that, Dr. Sharma, thank you so much for taking time to join us and welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks so much, Dr. Stukas. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, I think this is going to be a great conversation um, for for many reasons. And you know, to start with, as I look through your CV and your bio, boy, you are just one very busy person. And in addition to all that you do at your institution, you also serve as the chair for the clinician wellness work group. And I mentioned the vice chair for the integrative medicine committee within the academy. So, what got you interested in addressing clinician well-being in the first place? In addition to everything else that you have on your plate. Yeah, well, um, thanks so much for that question. And I often get asked this question because I think um, when folks hear about the different realms that I'm involved, they they wonder, well, did you really need to take on something else? Um, (laughs) And for me, you know, this interest goes back to the very beginning of my career in medicine. Um, I've always had an interest in wellness uh, growing up, but as a second year medical student, it really hit home um, when one of my dear friends and classmates um, around the middle of our second year, right before the holidays, um, I had just traveled home to Maryland and I got a call from my roommate that our classmate had died. Um, Mm. And I was shocked. I was trying to figure out, well, what do you mean? You know, what happened? And it turned out that she had committed suicide. Um, and very few, if any of us, knew kind of that silent struggle that she was going through. Um, and there were some parallels between, you know, her experience in medical school and mine. I think we both, like several of our classmates, struggled, you know, to fit in, to try to, you know, re- to try to find the confidence within ourselves that we belong there and that, you know, we were just as smart and just as qualified as everyone else. Um, and that question, I think, has, has you know, reverberated through many of us over the years in our careers in, in healthcare, um, but even outside of healthcare, you know, that question, am I good enough? You know, am I smart enough? Mm-hmm. Am I a good enough parent? Am I a good enough doctor? Um, and of course, the answer is yes, you are enough, but yet there are so many of us in healthcare that question that. 
and doubt that. Um, so after that experience, I really, you know, have this deep-seated interest to look out for my colleagues, um, to really, you know, identify anyone who might be silently struggling, to see, you know, whatever I can do to help them, whether it's burnout, whether it's anxiety, um, you know, just not really feeling like they're 100%. Um, bringing 100% of themselves to their work. Um, so that's where it started. And then over the years, I think I've just realized that this goes far beyond the individual, um, that this is a systems issue, this issue of clinician well-being. And I really love um, thinking about and trying to address and solve systems issues. Um, they're kind of like puzzles. Um, and when it comes to clinician well-being, there's, you know, cultural factors within healthcare that that play a role. There's also efficiency or practice efficiency factors that that can drive this. And then there's the individual. Um, so it's complex. And I think any of us, you know, as allergists, immunologists, we like those puzzles. That's one of the things that I think drew us to our field. Um, and mm -hmm. for me, I I see a lot of similarities between kind of the puzzle of clinician well-being. And try to figure, trying to figure out, well, what can we do for each of those different drivers or each of those different domains, so that our colleagues can can really be their best versions of themselves when they come to take care of patients and do research and teach and all of the other things that we do every day. So that's kind of a long-winded answer, but it it started very early on. But it's really it's um, it's something that I'm very passionate about. And, you know, there's this group of us, I think, within the academy that share this passion to really make a difference um, for our colleagues and their well-being. Oh, I appreciate you sharing that, especially sort of the, the origins of what really drove your passion in the first place. And, and just by listening to you and, and just reading through all that you've done, you can tell it really takes just dedication. Uh, and this passion that you mentioned to continue to, to understand how complex this is. And we're going to get into some of that today. Uh, you know, two years ago in May of 2020, we had uh, former president of the Academy, Dr. Giselle Masnayam, on uh, the podcast where she discussed wellness and burnout. And she offered tremendous insight at that time as well. But here we are over two years later. Uh, so what have we learned? How has the, the pandemic impacted wellness and burnout among healthcare professionals? Do we have a better understanding of this over the last couple of years? Yeah, um, we're beginning to better understand this. I think, you know, there's some studies that have emerged that suggest that this was obviously a critical issue before the pandemic, but it's been exacerbated by the pandemic. Um, and in particular, studies have emerged that have shown that rates of anxiety and depression among healthcare workers have further increased um, as a result of the pandemic. And I think, you know, the, the reasons for that are, are evident. Um, but, you know, it's it's kind of part of this whole notion of a second wave um, where for not just healthcare workers, but for society as a whole, you know, the first stages of the pandemic were very much focused on the medical aspects. And then now we're in a stage where as a society, you know, there's a huge emphasis on mental health, um, whether we're talking about health workers or children, uh, really any segment of society. Um, and so the need to address these issues has become so much more urgent. Um, I think just anecdotally, when you speak to those of us in healthcare, it's, um, there's this state that many have called pandemic fatigue. Um, 
which you know can be interpreted in different ways fatigue with just the fact that we're still dealing with um you know things like positive test results and illness and you know team members being out but i think also just fatigue that we as healthcare workers haven't really there's not been a break you know um and as much as possible i think for those who have been working on the front lines um there is that need to really take a step back, um, to take a break, to recharge, uh, and really reconnect um, to who you are separate from, you know, a physician or another member of the healthcare team. Um, because if you don't, then I think the consequences just accumulate um, progressively over time. Uh, and so, you know, the, there's a recent report that came out from the Surgeon General, um, Dr. Vivek Murthy, and some of the statistics are in there that really detail how the pandemic has increased this problem over the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, but then in the report, what they pivot to are, you know, some of the potential solutions. Um, and, and I think this notion of, you know, taking breaks, um, taking time for self-reflection, it's, it's so critical um, because oftentimes we're used to just working, 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 taking care of our patients and kind of making them the focus, which obviously is important, um, but we can only take care of our patients if we take care of ourselves as well. Um, so yeah, definitely lots, lots more to do um, on the tail end of what the pandemic has been for, for those in healthcare. Yeah, similar to, I know the report you mentioned from the U.S. Surgeon General is a little more recent, but in 2020, the Academy had a work group report on physician wellness and allergy immunology. And we discussed this a little bit in the earlier podcast with Dr. Mosnayam, but I think it'd be really helpful for us to get for you to give us a brief refresher on the results because they were pretty striking. So can you summarize some of these key findings? Because I believe you were involved with that yourself as well, correct? I was. I was. Along with um, <clears throat> Dr. Bigaman and Dr. Nanda, we um, and our mentors, we were all part of the Quad AI mentorship program. And this was one of the projects that emerged for each of us as mentees. Um, And, um, you know, some of the high-level findings, it was consistent with what had been found previously in the literature and that the overall rate of burnout was a a little bit less than 40%. Um, And that seems to be um, true in some other surveys of allergists, immunologists um, that have been done outside of the academy. Um, When you drill down in some of the specifics there, in terms of demographics, there were certain factors that seemed to predispose towards increased rates of burnout. So gender was one of them. Um, so female um, allergists and immunologists did have a higher rate of burnout than male, and that is something that has been seen in other specialties as well. Um, in addition, the uh, proportion of time spent in patient care, um, and this also makes sense that those who were more clinically focused um, had a higher rate of burnout. Um, There were some protective features in terms of academic involvement versus private practice, um, with those in academic careers seeming to have um, slightly lower rates of burnout. Um, And then there were specific drivers when you get down to kind of the practice efficiency level, um, where inefficiencies in electronic health record, um, increased documentation burden, those were all significant drivers 
um, that increase the rate of burnout, which again, any of us, you know, would, would expect. Um, so I think, you know, definitely some, some important findings. We have a follow-up survey, um, which was conducted during the pandemic, and we're working through those results now. Um, so it will be interesting to see, you know, whether some of those findings persist or whether perhaps they've exacerbated um, with this follow-up survey, but uh, definitely consistent with what's been seen in other specialties and what's been seen in other surveys, specifically among allergy and allergy. Well, I think that's really, really profound. And as you explain this, I, I, my mind sort of drifted to the big plenary session halls at the annual meeting where there's seating for 5,000 people and 40% are reporting burnout anonymously. So in a room like that, that's 2,000 people. Uh, that's yeah. just, it's mind boggling. And it's not like they're raising their hands, you know, telling everybody, hey, I'm stressed and burned out right now. Um, so, you know, I guess along those lines over the past two years since this report, this work group report came out, are, are have there been any advances within the academy to address these areas? Yeah, so, you know, a lot of work has gone into trying to identify tangible um, solutions that we can bring to Quad AI membership that might help them um, as they seek to address, you know, burnout overall, but some of the specific drivers that we know significantly predict it. Um, so there's a toolkit um, that has been developed. Um, Dr. Teresa Vigeman kind of took the lead of this, um, but this toolkit has lots of uh, resources that you can access. Um, for example, there's a whole set of resources around the electronic health record um, and things that we can do to make it easier for us to document, make it more efficient for us to document so that we're not taking charts home, not taking time away from our families in order to, to finish our notes. Um, and so the toolkit has a section about that. It has a section about some personal resilience strategies that members might be able to put into practice that other members who wrote this found helpful. Um, there's some sections about clinic efficiency. So there's, um, there's a lot of literature to suggest that the easier that we can get patients to kind of flow through our clinics, um, the less burden that there is on us in terms of tendency to burn out. Um, so for example, there's team-based um, documentation, team-based um, skills that can be utilized to bring together different members of the healthcare team to help document rather than just the, the physician alone. Oh, I think that's great. And where can people find some of these toolkits? Are they on the Academy website or are there other places where they should look for them? They are on the Academy website. So it's on the Academy website. And I believe if you search for wellness toolkit, um, the link to mm -hmm. this will, will come up. Um, it's pretty, it's pretty detailed. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of resources on there that can be accessed. Um, and many members have come up to us since this was published saying that it really was helpful for them. Oh, I think that's great. Uh, you know, for you, for you personally, I know you've been involved in some innovative approaches towards addressing burnout at your own institution. So I, I'm wondering if you'd be willing to share some of your initiatives and experience along those realms. Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, you know, one of the things as co-lead of the wellness program at Children's National during the pandemic, um, one of the things that we realized was that we needed to provide something um, kind of with rapid benefit to our healthcare workers. 
Um, and we had, right before the pandemic, we had implemented um, a workshop called the Sky Breath Meditation Workshop through the Art of Living Foundation, and actually conducted some pilot research of this um, to identify whether it would be helpful. Um, there had been evidence that we had reviewed um, from independent researchers that showed that it was effective at reducing burnout and improving rates of depression and anxiety, um, as well as a host of physiologic benefits. Um, and when we studied it pre-pandemic in our pilot study, we found that it similarly did, just within the three days of the workshop, significantly reduce, reduce rates of burnout, anxiety, depression, um, improved work engagement, um, so during the pandemic, we implemented this as a virtual workshop. We went back to the Art of Living and said, you know, healthcare workers, they can't come in person, obviously. They need something that is flexible in terms of timing and accessibility. And so, so far at Children's, over 300 of our healthcare workers have participated in these virtual breathing workshops. Um, and what's amazing is that, you know, just within the three days, they were reporting significant benefit in terms of the levels of anxiety. Um, we actually measured anxiety levels before, and the, the majority of the cohort had levels um, above the clinical anxiety cutoff. And then just within the three days of the breathing workshop, those levels of anxiety dropped. Um, hmm. so that's an example of one thing um, that we've been doing, but there's other things you know, locally that we've implemented we have a, um, a wellness wagon that travels around the hospital to bring all members of our healthcare team wellness resources, treats, um, breathing techniques. And so it's kind of a traveling um, cart that goes through the different parts of the hospital. We've partnered with um, members of our clinical administration team to try to improve uh, documentation burden and some of the clinic flow issues that we were talking about before. Um, and so there's lots that could be done. Um, but I think, you know, what we focused on, at least during the pandemic, were things that would have a rapid, um, significant benefit for, for our clinicians. Hmm. Oh, that's fantastic. It, please tell me that this wellness wagon is like a covered stagecoach pulled by corgis or like some therapy dogs or something like that. That's what I'm visioning in my mind. Is that what is <laughs> happening in the hallways of your institution? I, I wish it was. I wish it was. It's not quite as um, glamorous as what you're depicting, but, uh, but it has lots of goodies on there. And, um, and actually, it's decorated with children's artwork. So everyone knows when they see us coming, they know, they know what we're coming for. Oh, do you at least have like a jingle, like the ice cream truck that you know is coming around the corner? Or? Maybe we should we should think about doing that. I think that would be a good addition to the wagon, actually. Uh, look, all right. So th we've talked about this for thirty seconds. I already gave you two golden ideas. So we'll talk offline, but it's just things to consider moving forward. Um, <laughs> so you know, you mentioned you mentioned the sky breath meditation, and I've seen you present this. Um, and I wonder, would it be feasible for you to give us an example here on the podcast? Do we need to see you, or can you kind of walk us through just a brief glimpse of what this looks like? Well, I um, it would be hard to demonstrate the sky breath technique um, because you have to go through the whole workshop before you learn it. But um, mm -hmm. but one of the things that sometimes I do. Um, actually just did this at the Quad AI practice management workshop recently was I gave an example of, you know, how the breath uh, can be utilized to quickly take you to a deeper state of relaxation. 
Um, you know, one of the things that's interesting to note is that we usually only utilize about 30% of our lung capacity. Um, so there's a whole another 70% of our lung, lungs that we really don't use every day. And so there's this technique um, that's called yogic breathing, where you can kind of utilize all lobes of the lung um, on inspiration and expiration. And by doing so, it kind of brings you very quickly to a, to a state of relaxation. So if you're open to it, I'm happy to walk us through just a minute or two of this yogic breathing. I think that would that'd be fantastic. Yes, please. All right. So um, wherever folks are, you can just kind of sit up straight, uh, close your eyes, and just observe the pattern of your breathing, you know, breath going in and out, no particular um, thing that you're doing with your breathing. Any thoughts that are going through your head, just kind of let those be there. You don't have to do anything with those either. And then what we're going to do as we breathe in through our nose, um, we're going to feel our abdomen rise, and then we're going to feel our chest rise, and then our collarbone will rise. And then as we breathe out, you're going to feel the collarbone fall, the chest will fall, and the abdomen will fall. Breathe in, abdomen rise, chest rises, collarbone rises. Breathe out, collarbone falls, chest falls, abdomen falls. Breathe in, abdomen rises, chest rises, collarbone rises. Breathe out, collarbone falls, chest falls, abdomen falls. And now you can just relax back into your normal breathing. And whenever you're ready, you can go ahead and open your eyes. So hopefully no one fell asleep. <laughs> you're still awake here. Um, <laughs> I'm still here. <laughs> you're still there. But it's pretty amazing. I mean, just within a couple minutes, you can kind of feel that calm come over you and it's something you know it's, it's easily accessible you don't have to go anywhere you don't have to do anything special um you know if we're in the middle of a busy day stressful circumstances you can just kind of take a few minutes to check in with yourself and take some of these deep breaths um and by doing so kind of feel that sense of calm uh, and centeredness come back to you Oh, I think that's great. And and thanks for sharing that with us. You know, I always have to think to myself of as useful as that is, I think one of the struggles is helping people learn to identify when they need to do something like that. So what advice do you have for our colleagues throughout healthcare on, on how to recognize signs of burnout? Yeah, great question. I mean, I think for many of us, we're go, go, go. <laughs> and we never mm -hmm. really check in with ourselves. And so I think the first step is just to create those spaces in your day to check in and see how you're doing. Um, you know, oftentimes when we see each other, um, for example, at the Quad AI meeting or recently at this practice management workshop, the first question we ask is, you know, how are you doing? And there's often kind of a superficial answer that we give, like, oh, I'm so busy, you know, kids, this, family, but we never really get to the deeper response, which is how we're really doing. Um, mm. And that's because, you know, it's challenging. I mean, it's challenging to be vulnerable with others, but it's even challenging to be vulnerable with ourselves. 
Um, and so having that space to check in and to ask yourself, you know, am I feeling um, some of the signs of burnout? You know, there's a there's three domains that are sometimes used to describe burnout. The first one is emotional exhaustion. Um, that's just not only feeling physically tired, but just feeling emotionally tired um, and feeling as though you don't have the energy to see another patient or to go to another clinic. Um, so that would be the emotional exhaustion. There's also depersonalization. So this is some of the um, kind of the cynicism that might arise where, you know, when patients have questions or requests, um, it feels excessively burdensome. It feels like, oh, another thing that I have to do for this patient. Um, or, you know, kind of having cynicism around the intention of patients um, and then, you know, just being after you um, in, in some personal way. Um, and then I think, you know, obviously, uh, if there's health symptoms that you're noticing within yourself um, that seem to be related to burnout, um, if there's any issues with blood pressure or, you know, other chronic illnesses that are flaring up, that's oftentimes an opportunity to check in and say, okay, well, why is this out of control? Is it because of my stress level? Is it because of work somehow? Um, so those are just some things that folks can look out for. Um, but I think also colleagues, um, you know, we oftentimes are around our colleagues at work, um, you know, more than we're around any others. Um, and they're sometimes the first ones that will pick up on something being off, um, somewhere not being themselves. And so, you know, being that kind of colleague that will go and say, hey, you know, how are you doing? How are you really doing? Um, that can sometimes be one of the first signs that someone will recognize that they are struggling with, um, with burnout or some other, you know, issue with their wellness. If I came to you and I said, Dr. Sharma, this that was a great conversation. Thanks for your time. But listen, I'm not sleeping well. I have constant tension in my neck and my back, uh, you know, et cetera, what, you know, along those lines. What would you suggest to me? I think part of what I would suggest is um, trying to identify where the pain points are. You know, by the time something manifests in our physical being, whether it's with sleep mm. or pain or tension, um, it's been around for a while um, on more mm -hmm. subtle levels. And so really doing that check-in to say, okay, well, what are the sources of stress in my life? Um, is it only personal? Is it only professional? Is it personal as well? Um, really taking stock of, you know, what the root cause of this may, may or may not be. Um, because until that happens, then we really can't get to the point of trying to address, you know, solutions or strategies. Um, so I think that's really the first step is just having those honest conversations with others and with ourselves, just trying to identify what the root causes of it may be. Um, and then once we know those, you know, for a lot of us, it might be very obvious, you know, oh, I'm not sleeping because I'm up late working on charts or trying to finish things for work. Um, and then I have to wake up the next morning and start the whole thing all over again. Um, mm -hmm. So that obviously could be, you know, once that's identified, then there can be strategies put into place to try to address that. Um, and I think it's important not to kind of put the blame or the responsibility solely on the individual, you know, because yes, there 
are consequences at the level of the individual, but oftentimes those start at the level of the system, you know, the system of um, workplace um, that surrounds the individual. And so being mindful of what those potential issues may be, I think is also critically important. This conversation and, and, and topic in general is rather personal for me. And as I've gone through burnout myself, and I was fortunate enough to recognize it at the time, but it took almost a year or longer to fully appreciate the negative impact that it was having on my life and how it was impacting me. Uh, if you're open to it and there's no pressure here, would you mind sharing if you've ever experienced this as well and, and how that manifested in your own life? Yeah, this is a, you know, I think this question is really important for us to discuss. Um, for a few reasons. One is there's a big stigma around talking about issues of burnout or mental health. And the more of us that can share openly about what our struggles may have been or may be, um, I think that helps to destigmatize things. The other aspect of this, which I think is um, important to just take stock of, is that oftentimes burnout is it's a fluctuating state. Um, and what I mean by that is that People move in and out of different ways of feeling, um, different states of well-being on a daily basis and even sometimes an hourly basis. Um, and so I think if we're being completely honest, every single one of us at some point in our lives has experienced burnout. Um, mm -hmm. It may have been brief for some people and then they, they realize, oh, I'm, you know, I'm in a state that I don't want to be in and then they figure out, you know, what they can do to to kind of move past that. Um, but absolutely, I, I, like many of us, have felt, you know, burned out in the past. Um, and that has kind of reaffirmed my interest in this um, because I recognize that even as an individual, you know, I engage in a lot of resilience technique, techniques like the sky breath every morning. Um, I lead a group of doctors and nurses from our hospital every morning at 6 a.m. on Zoom through our breathing. <laughs> And that has helped me to be more resilient um, for the factors around me that might predispose towards burnout. But there are still times where I feel like, wow, this is, you know, just so it's, this is a lot of work to get done. Um, seems like there's not enough time and I'm feeling stressed out. Um, and I think that it's completely normal um, for all of us to feel that way from time to time um, and for us to talk about it. Um, that I think is critical. So I appreciate you asking that question for sure. Yeah, and thank you for sharing. And it's it's interesting. And, you know, for me, this was oh my gosh, I don't know, six, seven, eight years ago. But since then, I, I recognize it so easily in my friends and colleagues at work, um, and I talk to them about it. And it, it's just it's so apparent as soon as you know, I, I just see it, and and then we chat about it. And you know, as you mentioned, there's something underneath the surface there that is really, you know, what's driving that. So I think I encourage everybody who's listening, if you've gone through this yourself, or like you mentioned, just ask, ask your friends and colleagues how they're doing and, and really listen to their response. And we need to be there for one another. Absolutely. We, we get these, e yeah, thanks. We get these emails all the time, at least I do, from our employer telling us about, you know, these mandatory wellness sessions, which always crack mm -hmm. me up, um, or, you know, yoga in the parking lot at sunrise, or, you know, things like that. Is there evidence that these piecemeal approaches have any benefit at all, or does this require more of a comprehensive and sustained approach that you sort of worked on in your career? Yeah, it's, it requires a comprehensive approach. I think that what um, 
what all the research has pointed to is that in order for us to make a real dent on wellness, it requires work not only at the individual level, but at the systems level. Um, now, that's not to say that the individual resilience strategies are not helpful, and everyone you know, is going to have a unique resilience strategy that, that she or he may be drawn to. And so for some people, it might be yoga. For other people, it could be sports. Um, or exercise, or cooking, or art, or you know whatever that might be. Um, and I do think it's important for each individual person to find what that is for them, um, and to try to make that a regular part of their of their life. Um, but that in and of itself is not enough. And obviously, there's a ton that needs to change in the system of healthcare. Um, and you know, one of the things that I think is an interesting link that sometimes gets missed is that often there's this um, opposition of kind of the individual strategies versus the system strategies as if they're exclusive of each other. But one of the things that I love, um, and I've experienced it myself, is that when individuals tap into, you know, whatever practices resilience-wise make them feel more energized and feel more impactful, then those individuals become change makers. Um, and they then are capable of changing the systems around them. Uh, and so I think that that is a critical link um, that hopefully we can really catalyze um, within healthcare is to transform each of us as you know members of the healthcare system into those change makers. Um, and there's this quote, from Mahatma Gandhi that I love, which is, you know, be the change you wish to see in the world. Um, and if we can each um, find, you know, whatever the strategies are that allow us to be change makers, then I think the system's going to change even more effectively um, because the problems are immense and it's going to take a loud, you know, sea of voices to make the changes in healthcare that will make our daily lives, you know, much easier. Um, and allow us to kind of remove those pebbles in our shoes that make it harder for us to walk through our days um, as clinicians. So that's kind of how I view it. I, I think that there is a place for those individual strategies. There definitely is research to show that they're effective, um, but I look at them more as a means to then hopefully changing the system as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I know many people are going to find this conversation very uh, enlightening and inspirational. And really, I can't thank you enough for joining us. And I've had the pleasure of interacting with you many times over the years. And you always seem so even keeled. For those who, who don't know Dr. Sharma personally, this is who he is. Uh, this, he's not, this isn't an act for our, our podcast here. And I wonder, you know, has this always been your personality? Or do you think that, and that's what sort of drew you to this area? Or do you think that you've changed somewhat due to all your work and, and with wellness and burnout? And has that changed your understanding? I'm just curious more in the, you know, let's peel some layers back with Dr. Sharma while we have you here. <laughs> um, so I, I don't know. I think yes and no is the best way to answer this. I've, you know, if you talk to people who knew me as a kid, I was pretty easygoing, um, and I've always been that way, but I have also sensed changes within myself. Um, the more that I've gotten into this space of wellness, um, and I think probably the biggest change that I've, that I've noticed within myself is, um, you know what emerges oftentimes when you're involved in work trying to help other people um, is that you develop a greater confidence in yourself. 
Um, and, you know, oftentimes as clinicians, um, as leaders within our field, we're trying to change things. We're trying to make things better for our colleagues and for our patients. Um, but one of the things that sometimes is frustrating is that change takes time. And so oftentimes you're left asking, is it even worth it? You know, should I even keep trying? Um, should I continue, you know, in this effort to improve wellness for my colleagues? Um, and what has happened as I've continued to work in this area is that I've had those moments of exasperation where I've become frustrated that, you know, there's a no or, you know, something is not happening as efficiently or effectively as I want to, but then you just keep going. Um, and I think that that's what um, has emerged for me is kind of a greater sense of drive and confidence, you know, to keep going no matter what other people may say, no matter what the outcome may be, um, just to continue with the work. Um, and for anyone listening, I mean, I think that all of us, we're trying to do the best we can. Um, and there are going to be circumstances that come up that kind of block you in your path. Um, but for me, um, what has helped is just that confidence that, you know what, just keep going, just keep going. It's not about the outcome. It's really just about showing, you know, yourself and not anyone else that, that this is worth pursuing. Well, I have to ask, um, and this is a very safe space, so I hope that you'll be willing to share. Is there one thing that really brings out Hulk Sharma? Is it what just yeah. drives you? What what causes the rage? <laughs> oh, there's many things. There's many things. I think um, <laughs> you know, I think you probably have to talk to my wife and kids to get the most honest answer to this because it's um, <laughs> yeah. I think for all of us, there are those moments where you just um, you're trying to do the best you can, and it seems as though, you know, things are not happening as quickly as you want them to. Um, and that's probably what brings out the Hulk the most, um, <laughs> is, you know, and, and what I've learned over the years is, is what I was just sharing, which is that, you know what, it's not always about the outcome. Um, and, you know, I think many of us who end up in careers like medicine, careers in healthcare, so much of that is outcome focused um, and outcome oriented. I mean, we had to do well academically to get to where, um, you know, we got into the schools. And then once you get into the schools, then you have to do on your training and then you have to continue continually. It's like this process of meeting certain benchmarks and meeting certain outcomes. And I think what um, can get really frustrating is when it seems like you're working towards outcomes and they're still not manifesting. Um, but I think there's a, I have a deep faith that there's kind of a greater intelligence and that, you know, only the best is going to happen. And so if you don't get something that you want right now, it's fine. You know, it must not have been meant for you or something better is right around the corner. Um, and so that I think is what brings out the most frustration in me, but I'm working on that and trying to, trying to become less outcome attached. 
See, even when you discuss this, you're so even killed. I'm going to reach out to your colleagues, and I know there's pictures somewhere of all the things that you've smashed in your office. And, uh, we'll bring that out at a future meeting or something during one of your presentations, perhaps. <laughs> well, you know, after the after this conversation and people listening, you know, there are going to be people out there that just say, "Listen, this is great. I don't have time for this. I don't have time to focus on wellness. Are you kidding me? I have X, Y, and Z I have to do, and if I don't do these things, then I'm really stressed out." Uh, I mean, I've received some pretty harsh rebuke when I suggested people that they set an out of office reply on their email when they go on vacation. They say, I can't, I can't not check my email for a week at a time. So what do you say to those folks, those individuals? Yeah, I think everyone, you know, everyone is at a different point. Um, and so it's important to have, you know, different menu options depending on what someone is interested in and where they find themselves. And so if someone is not at that point that they feel comfortable you know, with the out of office reply, then that's fine, but find out what they are comfortable with, you know, and little bit by little with small changes and then hopefully benefits that they see themselves with those small changes, you'll be able to, you know, encourage them to taking a greater interest in, in their own wellness. Um, but, you know, I don't think it's something that you can uniform universally with you know broad strokes, say oh everyone is going to you know have to do this or everyone is going to benefit from this um, because it's just not the case. I mean there's different strokes for different folks, and so I would just you know try to find out what it is that people are comfortable with trying, um, small things, and then hopefully you know give them an experience that yeah this actually was helpful, and then kind of carry them to whatever the next step may be for them. Within our specialty of allergy immunology, you've, you sort of touched upon this, but you know, what are the, the major gaps and challenges that remain in addressing wellness and burnout uh, for us in this specialty? Yeah, you know, I think um, there's, a, there's several gaps, and I think one of them you know, obviously relates to uh, the efficiency of our practices. And so you know, as a specialty, we tend to be predominantly ambulatory, and so the drivers of burnout um, oftentimes will find themselves residing in that practice efficiency domain. Um, and I think that there is more work um, that can be done both at you know, the private practice level, but also you know, academic practice levels to make ambulatory medicine function more efficiently and effectively. Um, and whether that's you know, figuring out how to do scribes or team-based documentation, or huddles among different members of the team, you know, before clinic, or leveraging telemedicine, um, or remote work options, um, you know, emphasizing flexibility and autonomy in scheduling. Um, there's a lot that remains to be done, I think, especially in that uh, domain within our specialty. Um, and then more broadly, I think culture, you know, as a, as a specialty, um, and, and our leaders within the academy have really been phenomenal in terms of talking about this openly and destigmatizing. Um, but going back to what we were discussing before, just continuing the conversations openly um, so that this is something that everyone feels comfortable, you know, discussing, sharing, and, and really um, working towards, you know, a better state of wellness um, overall and as individuals. 
you know, anecdotally, I've noticed uh, when there's, you know, evening meetings or conference calls or things that I'm just not able to participate in. And I always, you know, send the note, I'm really sorry, I have X, Y, and Z, and I can't attend. Just the supportive replies I get, it seems to me like it's really increased over the last couple of years. And I don't know if that's pandemic related or wellness related or what. Um, whereas in the past, it almost seemed like it was, well, you can make up for that by doing X, Y, and Z. Now it seems more, we completely get it. We understand. You take care of yourself. You do what that's important and, and we'll figure this part out. I, have you noticed that as well with some of the work that you do? I have, you know, I think that we're in the midst of a of a trans transformation. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, I'm an optimist, and I would like to think that, but I have seen tangible signs like you have that there's change happening, um, and I think a lot of that is driven uh, by leaders, you know, and and oftentimes culture change it takes time, and so you're not going to see things turn around immediately, but um, with effective leadership that you know, there's this term that's been coined wellness-centered leadership. Um, there's a great paper by Tate Shanafelt's group at Stanford recently where they talked about this new leadership style. Um, it's not new. It's, it's essentially been around forever, but it's naming kind of what are the, the, the aspects of that. And the first, you know, foundation of wellness-centered leadership is care about people always. Um, and I do think that we're starting to see a transformation in caring, you know, and kind of being present, being attentive to others. And maybe the pandemic is responsible for that. Um, and maybe that's one of the, you know, the, the hidden blessings of the past few years. Um, but I'm definitely seeing it as well. Yeah, no, I hope I hope that's true. And I hope we continue to see it moving forward. Dr. Sharma, this has really been a very insightful conversation. You've been very generous with your time. But if you're up for it, I'd, I'd really love to finish up with some rapid fire questions. Would that be okay with you? Sure, I'm up for it. Okay, great. Um, so we want to learn more about what makes Dr. Sharma tick. Uh, along those lines, if you weren't a physician, or if you weren't an allergist immunologist, what other career would you love to pursue? Either teacher or talk show host. Talk show host, like uh, you know, like late late night talk show or more hour long, you know, view. Type uh, probably more hour long. Um, yeah, probably more hour long. Okay, so you're saying that you want my job and you want to host the podcast? I see what's going on here. Well, <laughs> well, you might have some competition. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, I love. <laughs> Dr. Stukas, you know, I, we share a similarity in that we're both inherently curious people. Um, uh-huh. And that's one thing. I love learning about people and what makes them tick. And so um, so this is a little bit weird to be on this end of it. <laughs> but if I had another job, maybe talk show host. Okay. Well, we will connect offline because I'm certainly not going to be doing this forever. So good to know. <laughs> um <laughs> Okay, next question. What's your favorite type of vacation? Would you say just vegging out on the beach for a week, uh, being active in Mother Nature, visiting national parks, or you know, visiting new cities in more of an urban environment? Definitely beach. I'm a beach bum. Okay, so you just you know get your favorite book or hang out with the family and just let the day slip away. Yep, yep. That's the most um, relaxing place I could be. And uh, do you have a favorite beach by any chance? Um, I don't. Any beach. <laughs> really, any beach. <laughs> sand, water, sun. Um, there's, um, no, I, I just think it's, um, it's great being close to water. You know, I think that 
the water um, for many of us it's, it's just you know it's relaxing it takes you back to kind of the center of who you are so so any beach any beach is good for me uh, excellent do you have a favorite book that you like to gift to friends or colleagues or even just recommend for others to read this is a hard one because I don't have a favorite um, there's a lot of books that I that I really love um, I don't have a favorite. I think that it changes um, as I read new things. But um, yeah, I don't know that I have an answer for this one. No, no, that's fine. It's, it's, sometimes it's nice to have uh, too many options to choose from. And for the last question, and again, thank you for being a good sport for all this. Let's say you could have one text message that you could push immediately right now to all of our colleagues within allergy and immunology or even just healthcare in general. What would mm -hmm. your text say and why? Hmm. Uh, okay, lots of ideas going through my mind of what I could say. Um, <laughs> and I'm vacillating between something comedic versus um, serious. I think I'll go with the serious one. Uh, I think it would say, you are enough. Um, and this kind of goes back to where we started this conversation that, you know, a lot of us throughout our professional lives, personal lives, we question, like, are you really enough? Um, and I think if there's, you know, an affirmation externally that we each hear um, and see that we indeed are enough, um, it would be great because a lot of people then would feel that confidence to move forward and, and do whatever it is that they're supposed to be doing in this life. Mm -hmm. Well, there you go, everybody. We just got our own personalized text message from Dr. Sharma. You are enough. I like that. Well, Dr. Sharma, thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy schedule to join us today. This is extremely No, I just want to thank you again, Dr. Sukas. This has been a lot of fun and hopefully, you know, helpful conversation for our colleagues. And just want to thank you and everyone at the Academy for the great work that they're doing in wellness um, and in the Integrative Medicine Committee. I'm really um, thrilled to be part of, of our Academy. And um, it really is something that gives me a lot of satisfaction and fulfillment. So thank you again for this, for this opportunity. No, it's our pleasure. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed listening to today's episode. Please visit www.aaai.org for show notes and any pertinent links from today's conversation. If you like the show, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify so you can receive new episodes in the future. Thank you again for listening.